Every married couple's unique. You're an us. And whether you're loving your us, wondering if your us is gonna make it, or somewhere in between, every couple at some level wants to become their best us. But do you know how? So I, uh, I realized something this past week. I, I, I need to be more clear. I need to be more clear when I'm giving directions about specific application points for a message. If you weren't here last week, last week I gave us all this challenge. I called it the seven-day kindness challenge. And, and I just was challenging people to do these three different things every day for seven days. Hopefully it could even last longer than that. But seven days was kind of the initial goal, the, the low bar thing for everybody. And here's some of the things I heard back. The first thing I heard back was, do they have to be seven consecutive days? <laughs> really, this is your challenge. You do it. The second thing I heard in line with that same one was a text I got while I was leaving the Relevant Center that morning. Uh, seven days is an awful lot. Can I just start with one? <laughs> again, again, it's your challenge. You, you do with it as you'd like. Uh, also, one of the points of the challenge was do something nice for a person every single day. And Really, I kind of found I got to be more clear with that, too, because I, Holly and I, I think later that same day, we were headed to one of our kids' baseball games. I had a drink in my hand, and we get into the, the Explorer, and she moves a cup out of the cup holder so I could put my drink down, and she said, well, there's my kindness act for the day. Uh, no, we're going we're gonna to raise the bar on that one just a touch. <clears throat> but this is when it hit me. This, this is when I, I realized I needed to help out more. This is the to find something nice, something to praise about your spouse or whoever you're choosing to do this challenge with, really. Something to praise about them, something to affirm about them. And this, this is what I, I heard back. A, a good friend of mine actually told me this, and I quote, Honey, it looks like you're losing some weight. I can tell because your thigh gap is getting bigger. I'm sorry. It's my fault. I, I take all the blame for it. I, I should be more clear on how you do these types of challenges. So I'll do better in the future. I'm sorry. Just so you guys know, like, hey, we are actually in week two. We're right in the middle of a series that we're calling Your Best Us. And when you got married, you became an us. Uh, and truly, that there is no us quite like yours. And, and if you remember, like, from last week, that you could be thinking, oh, how sweet, how great. It's just, it's, we're just us. Or you could be thinking, yeah, thank God, because this us is terrible, and I wouldn't wish this on anybody else. So, like, you, wherever you're at, that's a giant spectrum, right? Wherever you're at on that spectrum of your relationship, how you feel about your us, the thing that brings us all together today, the thing that makes us uh, kind of all on level playing field, all, all on the same ground here, common ground, is that we all have a desire, we all have a want to experience our best us, whether you're in the room and you're single and you hope to be married one day, like you, you have a desire to experience the best that that us has to offer you as well. Last week, we mentioned the big ones, the big ones we hear all the time, the, the advice that people give when you get married, the things like communication and chemistry and compatibility. Uh, but during this series, we're actually looking at three habits or three principles that I, I believe are talked about quite a bit less. And I think they're actually even a little bit easier principles uh, that are actually found in Scripture. These same principles, I believe, if they're implemented in your life, they'll take you really far down the road of experiencing your best us. And the way they're written around in Scripture, they tell us how to live out these habits and principles. But if you don't happen to believe anything the Bible says, if you came here this morning still trying to figure out this whole thing, you got a ton of questions. I'm so glad that you're here. We always, always, always love having you here. And really the best thing, news for you is that scientific studies about relationships are actually showing the same things we read in Scripture. They're showing those same things to be true. And so you don't have to believe the same things we believe, but these things will actually help 
your relationships as well. And so the first thing that we looked at last week is we, we called it kindness changes everything. Last week we said you, you cannot have your best us without kindness. Kindness really is kind of a key foundational element to experiencing the best that your marriage or really the best that any relationship has to offer. And if you missed it, go back and check it out because I gave some great tools and I just brought some clarity to those tools so you can actually implement them a little bit better than people did last week. Uh, the third thing we're going to look at next week is Pastor Jimmy's actually going to preach a message about the promises that we make when we say I do. When we say I do, we make giant promises to this other person. And so Jimmy's going to help us know how to learn, learn how to know how to practice those promises in our marriages. And this week, have serious fun. This week is a fun one. This week is actually kind of a PG-13 one. It, if you have young ones in the room, don't worry. You don't have to get up and walk out. I mean, I guess you could if that's your choice. But uh, you're going to have to know what I'm talking about to know what I'm talking about if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right? But I can promise you right off the bat, I'm not going to have to work to keep their attention. <laughs> They're going to be with me the whole time. I, I do need to do this right off the bat, though. Because I want this message to be fun. I, I want to laugh. I want to have a good time together. But if I have to keep referencing back to this thought, it, it's not going to be fun. It won't be fun for me. And I don't think it would be fun for you. I, I shared this quote last week. I want to look at it again as we move forward. This is a Desmond Tutu quote. It says, there comes a point where we need to stop just pulling people out of the river. And we need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. And so for you, if your marriage, if you're way down the river, if you feel like you're drowning in that river. If you don't feel like you're ever going to make it out of that river. This next statement is going to be a little bit jarring for, for today, but I have to say it. The answer to getting out of the river is not having more sex. The answer to getting out of that river is not having more sex. I've counseled too many guys. I've sat across the table from too many guys who said the problems in our marriage is because she just won't have sex with me, and that's not true. A dysfunctional sexual relationship within a marriage is not the cause of marital problems. It's the manifestation of marital problems. And the reason I need to say this right now is because I refuse to allow my words. I refuse to allow the words written in Scripture allow somebody in the room to continue to perpetuate the pain and the hurt in your marriage. I won't let it happen. But if you are drowning in, in the river... If you're, if you're stuck and you don't think you can get out and you're experiencing this manifestation of those problems, it's because of other problems and we want to help. We want to help you get out of that river. We have resources. I showed you this last week. We have, we have a spot on our website where you can go find resources to help you in your marriage. You can go to the app and find out even, even more resources there because we have a team of people. Uh, people that, uh, marriage teams that want to help you get out of that river. They want to walk alongside of you as you navigate through these hurts and these problems in hopes that we can see your marriage thrive in the future. That's what we want for you. But you need to know, this entire series, this entire series is all about helping couples keep from falling in the river in the first place. And so this message, this message more than any of the other ones, has to be viewed through that lens. You have to view this message through the lens of keeping from falling in the river in the first place. And so we got that out of the way. If someone asked you before you got married, if you wanted your spouse to be fun, what would you have said? For most of us, I think the quick answer, the, the pretty simple, obvious answer is yes, of course. Uh, without fun and romance and adventure or physical intimacy in your marriage, your marriage, it will be relegated to not much more than a legal agreement. Kind of a, a business arrangement between two people. 
Many people in the room have either experienced or they've seen it in other people. Eventually, you just end up with a roommate. But the question has to be asked, is fun really essential to experiencing your best us? Or is it simply just an extra? Is it simply just something you add on when you have the time for it? I mean, we all like to have fun. But there's so many other things to worry about that get in the way all the time. So we're going to call these fun barriers. Fun barriers. Fun barrier number one is busyness. Let's just say the obvious. We all know this to be true. Every one of us is too busy. Uh, By the end of today, my wife and I will have sat at or one of us have been at over seven baseball games. So, like, we're all too busy. Our lives are filled with have-tos. Just think about the number of times you've started a conversation with a buddy or with somebody at work says, yeah, but I have to. I have to get the kids to baseball or, honey, I have to prep for this big meeting I have tomorrow. I have to take my mom to her doctor's appointment. I have to do laundry. I have to clean. I have to cook. We can get so busy that we don't even take the time to worry about fun. And if we do, if we do think about it or if it crosses our mind, we rarely give it enough attention, attention to actually do anything about it at all. There's just so many things that we have to do. And the have-tos, they just seem more important than fun. The second fun barrier is seriousness. I mean, married people are some serious people. Why shouldn't be? I I know. We have mortgages. We have jobs. We have kids. We have aging parents. We have chores. And on and on and on it goes. We can get so serious Because we have seriously important things to worry about. We have seriously important people in our lives, things that depend on us. They don't happen without us. And why all those things are obviously of great importance, that they can all suck the life out of, they can suck the fun right out of our us. Serious focus on seriously important things seems more important than fun. And the third one (laughs) is, A lot of us in the room know this one to be true, children. Children are fun suckers. (laughs) If if you're a parent in the room, I'm going to make an assumption. It's a pretty safe assumption, I I believe, that that you love your kids. I believe you love your kids. I'm also going to make that same assumption. And and at that one point in your life, you've had the thought, you've said out loud in conversation, I would do anything for my kids. And too often, we allow that very healthy that very righteous and good sentiment, which on the surface is, is so good, cause us to place our kids on top of everything. We begin to center our entire lives around our kids' wants and our kids' needs and our kids' desires and our kids' activities. And we say things like, hey, man, hey, when the kids get older, right? When the kids get older or, or when the kids move out of the house, then we'll have some time. We'll, we'll have some fun. We'll, we'll take some time for the two of us. And then you guys have probably seen it. I know I've seen it. In a couple where those kids, they've, they've actually moved out. They've actually grown up and, and they left the house. And, and now they sit across the table from their spouse. And the question's asked, like, who are you again? I, who, are, who are we? And sadly, they, oftentimes they don't make it. Our children having what they need seems more important than fun, which leads to the fourth one, which is pretty obvious at this point. Exhaustion. Exhaustion becomes a barrier to our fun. Uh, We don't make time for us as a couple because we're just so dang tired. And you guys won't believe me. 
you guys sitting out front, there's going to come a day where you will be offered fun and you choose to go to sleep. Just saying. Just saying. It's, it's a very sad day. It's a very sad day. But being fun people, it requires energy. And we're just so exhausted. Exhaustion is overwhelming and rest, it just seems more important than fun. The, the barriers to fun in marriage are real and, and we all certainly experience them. But if we ever want to experience our best us, then we need to know that fun in marriage is not an extra. It's essential. But what does fun in marriage look like? That's, that's got to be the question you're, you're wondering. Fun, fun can be all kinds of things. And we'll talk about some different things a little bit later on in this message. But you might actually be surprised that when the writers of Scripture, when they talk about fun and enjoyment within the beautiful context of marriage, they're almost always talking about sex. That has to catch some of you off guard. Some of you, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, depending on how you grew up, the only thoughts that you have about what Scripture says about sex is that it was created by God, mostly for procreation. It seems that enjoyment was an accidental byproduct. And do it when you're married. And all that is true, minus the accidental byproduct part. <laughs> all that is true. God gave us this gift of sex to be within the boundaries of marriage. He did that for our protection. But man, he had such bigger plans. He had much more beautiful plans for us. The, this will be a surprise to some of you as well, that the, the people of God throughout history were not prude about sex. And just to make my point, I'm actually going to read a passage to you out of the book of Song of Solomon. But Song of Solomon, it enjoys, it speaks beautifully and poetically about the gift of sex within marriage. And there's a moment where we see the man, he's, he's coming towards his bride, leaping like a gazelle. I've tried it. It didn't, <laughs> it didn't work for me. It, it could work for you. She sees him as this conquering warrior riding in on this luxurious carriage and he's got soldiers all around them and in her heart she feels protected and she feels provided for. So, so they take off together. And Song of Solomon, it leads us right into their bridal chamber. And we see as we get there that the man, he begins to compliment his bride, starting at her head with her hair and then describing her eyes and her nose, her mouth and her neck. And he works his way down her body, continuing to compliment and celebrate his bride. You get about halfway down, and this is where we catch up. Song of Solomon, verse, or chapter 4, verse 5. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. And so why does he call her breasts fawns? It's because you don't run up on a fawn. Hey, dear! He's... He's, he's talking about gentleness. Even in the way that he writes and describes poetically, he, he's describing fragility to it. And he goes on, Until the day breeze and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountains of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Now, if you, were, if you had a Bible in your hand and you turned to the back and you went to the maps, you would not find an ancient hill of myrrh or a mountain of frankincense because they, they don't exist topographically. See, earlier in this passage, she actually mentions the fact that she wears a sachet of perfume on a necklace that rests between her breasts. And so when he's saying, I'm going to the hill of frankincense, he's not talking about going on a hike. 
He goes on, he says, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sinur and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. And so he's saying, let's get away. Let's get away from all this craziness, all this that's trying to devour us, all of us that's trying to take time away from us. He's saying there's barriers. There's so many barriers to our fun. Let's get away from all of it until it's just the two of us. He goes on in verse 9, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. And she, she obviously wasn't his biological sister. But what he's getting at here is that there's a bond of love, kind of, kind of like a family bond of love that goes far beyond the erotic. A, a type of love that has now grown into a blossom, blossomed into an erotic love in and through marriage. He, he goes on and continues to compliment her body. And he says, how beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Now, honey and milk were, were two of the only substances that you could consume without the death of something else. And so poetically, he's saying that this invitation into intimacy with you, it brings me life. There is life, it's life-giving, that it's pure joy, it's pure life in this time with you. And he continues down the body and he gets towards the bottom and he says, a garden locked is my sister, my bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots, presumably her legs, are an orchard of pomegranates with all choice fruits, henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and alloys, with all choice spices. And he's, just, he's just describing the best of the best. All the best that you can have, he's describing poetically in his bride. And she responds. She responds as he compares her body to a garden. She says, awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. Let my beloved climb into his garden and eat its choice fruits. Dang. That's, that's good stuff. Then the very next verse, very next verse, he says, I came into my garden, my sister, my bride, I gathered my myrrh with my spices, I ate my honeycomb with my honey, I drank my wine with my milk. Now commentators and theologians, they, they have, there's a pretty big debate on the amount of time it took from one verse to the next. Some, some of them say three minutes, some say five. I mean, my, my assertion is it's the wedding night, so no more than two, but that's just me. I, Then we see, we see a third voice. We see a third voice speak. And so if you actually go into Scripture and you read this, you'll, you'll see headings at the top that says him and her and him. So you see who's speaking at different times. And then we see a, a third voice. And is it the voice of God or the people of God? There's a debate with that as well. But I tend to agree with one commentator. He says this. It is unlikely that friends or wedding guests or any other persons would have been present in the bedroom at the consummation of the couple's marriage. We can all agree with that. That's probably very true. A more plausible suggestion is that this speaker is God himself. And I love this sentence. Only their creator would have been a guest at that occasion. Since their love was from him, it was fitting that he would approve of it. 
He invites them to enjoy sexual love and marriage as if it were a banquet when he says this, eat, friends, and drink, and be drunk with love. Eat and drink and be drunk with love. That's, that's what scripture says about sex. That's how scripture celebrates sex within the context of marriage. And in Proverbs it says this, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. And guys, you got to know, like, delighting in her breasts is not necessary for the reproductive process. It's for fun. <laughs> it's for fun. Eat and drink and delight and enjoy just like eating and drinking are not extra fun and a marriage isn't extra, it's essential. But we know that sex isn't the only way to ensure that there's fun that takes place in your marriage. So, so what are some of the ways to have serious fun within marriage? Well, let's start with what fun is not. Fun, despite what Instagram would show you, is not perfect looking couples doing impossible things in expensive locations. I'm quite sure that if, if I rode on a bike with Holly on the handlebars, we'd both end up in the hospital. Like, that's, that's going to happen. Thank goodness that fun does not require any of that. Fun, fun doesn't require perfection. Fun requires participation. So determine what you both like to do. It, it's really quite simple. Do you like to take walks together? Do you like to go out to eat together? Do you, do you want to go see a movie together? Do you, do you want to binge watch a show together in your bedroom? Do you want to go play tennis or play pickleball or whatever it takes? Find whatever it is that you like to do as an us. It only has to work for your us and then go do it. But once you decide, once you decide what you like to do, you need to get really practical because we're all so busy. We all need to get practical. We need to schedule fun. We need to make time for fun, just like we make time for all the other things that we have to do. Even things we don't want to do, like going to the doctor or kids' activities five nights a week. We always make time for that. We have to make time for serious fun. But how do we do that in the real world? If, if you think about it, the only things that actually take place in our lives that we actually do are things that we've taken the time to fill in these five blanks. The who, the what, the when, the where, and the how. Let me just give you a real simple, practical example. The who, me, the what, a new tattoo, the when on Friday, the where, tent sanctum downtown, the how, sit in a chair for an hour, try not to cry. Like, that's just that's a simple example. It's not happening, unfortunately. I'm not getting one. But we do things all the time that we really want to do, like getting a new tattoo, or we find time to get a hair appointment done, or we find time to squeeze in a massage here and there, or there's things that we really don't want to do that we end up doing, like a root canal or an oil change. But we do it because we've taken the steps to fill in five simple blanks. If fun is essential to experience our best us, then we need to take the necessary steps to make sure fun happens. And so here's three things that many marriage experts suggest that we should schedule in order to have fun and connection within our marriage. The first one is this, schedule daily dialogue. This is crazy. I, I, I had to look this up. Studies have shown that couples spend an average of four minutes of meaningful conversation a day. Have you ever dedicated four minutes to anything and actually seen it be successful? 
I mean, could you imagine that in your relationship with your kids? Hey, sorry, buddy, I missed your game-winning goal, but I only had four minutes, so I was already gone. Or, uh, sorry, boss, uh, make it quick. I got four minutes for this meeting. Trust me, I'd like to take four minutes with my boss. That'd be, that'd be awesome. <laughs> but, then, but then there'd be a job opening here relevant, I'm pretty sure. So here's the deal. Here's the challenge to you. Carve out five to 15 minutes a day. Let's say 15. Just for the two of you. So, so what does that look like for you? It, who, the who, you and your spouse, the what, talk for 15 minutes. Five minutes for details, five minutes for the highs and lows of the day, five minutes for something funny. The when, Monday through Friday at 8 o'clock. Where? In your bedroom with the door closed. The how, you're going to put it on the calendar and you're going to show up on time. Create an Alexa reminder so that she tells you at 8 o'clock, Monday through Friday. The second thing we're going to schedule is we're going to schedule date night. Date night. And while a weekly date night or date lunch or breakfast seems to be ideal, you can really start anywhere. So you can start with bi-monthly dates. You can start with monthly dates. It really doesn't matter. Just start. And I need to tell you, this is without a doubt been the most transformative and I believe formative thing in my marriage. We have had a weekly date night for over a decade. And I can promise you that over those 10-plus years, I couldn't pinpoint an exact start date. We've missed it less than 10 times. That means that over 520 plus weeks worth of dates have taken place between my wife and I. And just so you don't think it was easy, I want to make sure it's clear. Holly and I have zero family in town. We have zero family within 11 hours of us. We paid a babysitter for the first six years of that time together. Considering how little I made or how much, you know, how much money we made at the time, that meant most times if we paid a babysitter, we didn't have money to do anything else. And so there were times that we had date night at Taco Bell. Uh, There were times that date night was simply going for a walk around the lake, but it was that important to us that we spent the money so that we could get out of the house so that we could be together. There were were so many times that, that we didn't have money to actually do anything. We have four kids, hence why we don't have any money two of which played select baseball. And so there were plenty of times that date night for Holly and I was a glass of wine out on the deck telling the kids to go to bed early after a long tournament weekend on a Sunday night. So it's like we we did anything that we could to make sure that we dedicated and set aside time for us for date night. It has been and will continue to be priority number one on my calendar every single week. I could go on and on about the importance of this. Talking about date night was one of the things that I was most excited about when I knew I was going to do this series. If I could have crafted this entire message around this one idea, I would have because it's been that transformative for me. And I believe it can change and transform your marriage if you would make it a priority for you as well. And so let's fill in those blanks. What does it look like for you? Who is you and your spouse? The what? Date night, dinner, some laughs, some time together. When? Thursday night after Jimmy's soccer game. Where uh, we're going to make it down to Main Street Cellars here in Elkhorn. We're going to have a glass of wine. How? You're going to schedule a babysitter. You're going to order pizza for the kids. And you're going to make it happen. And here's the deal about date night. A little side note. Like, you don't decide to do it if everything is great. We're in a good spot, so we'll go on date night. The number of times that we have gotten into the car and we haven't been happy with each other. And there's been a little tiff going on and we still went I, I couldn't tell you. You got 520 plus times, you could imagine there's been a few. But it's that important that you get away and you have that time together because it changes everything. All right, so I spent a lot of time in the beginning 
talking about sex. So, so where does sex fit in to all this? Hey, if you're, if you're fun and you're playful and you're carving out time for each other, then sex might just happen as a byproduct of all that. But not always. This is why so many marriage experts suggest that married couples schedule one other thing, that they schedule sex. And, and trust me, I get the pushback on this. In fact, the first time I heard it quite a few years ago, I was like, that is ridiculous. Because we all want sex to be spontaneous and steamy and hot all the time. And I'm not suggesting that sex shouldn't be spontaneous. It absolutely should and can be. But we're all so busy that for a lot of people, if they don't schedule it, it just won't happen. And I've been in conversations with people that before you know it, it's been a month, it's been six weeks, it's been two months. And I guarantee there's people in the room that was like two months, that's not very long. Like it just keeps going because it's not even that your marriage is bad, it's just you just don't take the time. And then you get to the end of it and you wonder, why, don't, why do we feel so disconnected? So, so scheduling it never hurts. And for a lot of couples, it's actually really helpful. And one of the best arguments to the idea of scheduling it is in most marriages, you have one, spot, one spouse who is instantly ready for sex and one, one spouse that it kind of has to warm up to the idea. So in other words, you have one spouse that's a microwave and you have one spouse that's a crock pot. Right? And so, like, here, putting it on a calendar, and maybe not a shared family calendar, just for these guys. They, they, don't, they don't want to know that. Putting it on the calendar is like turning the crock pot on. It, it's just getting warmed up to the idea. And here's the deal. Like, I, I, I've, I've never been in a spot. I don't know anybody who's like, I kind of wanted to have sex, but it was on the calendar, so I'm not going to do that. No, that's never going to happen. Okay. So what does that look like in the real world? Again, another real world example. Who? You and your spouse. What? Sex. When? Days that end in Y. Where? I don't care. <laughs> Anywhere. How? That's it. <laughs> you guys figure that out. And some of you, you don't need to schedule sex at all because you're having it all the time. And that's awesome. Just shut your mouth. We don't like you anyway. So, so what's the difference between those couples who have fun and enjoy each other sexually and those who don't? It, across the board, those who do, they make time for it. And if that means scheduling it, who freaking cares? One last thing about having serious fun. Fun isn't just about having fun when you've allotted time for it. When it comes to making fun a part of your best us, we have to learn and decide to be fun people. Are you fun with your spouse anymore? Do you laugh and do you play and do you flirt? The unfortunate thing is I know there's plenty of people in the room who aren't experiencing any of that. They aren't experiencing any fun in their marriage. And it's not that their marriage is bad. They probably have a good marriage. But all those barriers, all those other things have just become more important than fun. And they've sucked the fun out of your us. And if that's the case, if that's the case, my challenge to you today is, is just sit down and talk openly with your spouse about it. Trust me, if, if you're feeling that, it's highly likely that they're feeling it as well. And they want to have fun as much as you want to have fun. And I'm not using fun as a euphemism here either. I'm, I'm talking in general. God wants us to delight in our spouse. God's desire is for you to be intoxicated with your spouse's love. And so pray about it. 
Ask God to help you both make priority of, or make fun a priority in your marriage and then decide to put these three things on the calendar for the next month. Just try it for a month. If at the end of the month you're not having any more fun, you can always go back to living like you're living today. Life is serious. Life is serious, but we don't always have to be. Be fun because fun, it connects your us in ways that nothing else can. Fun is the get-to of your marriage that keeps the have-tos in more perspective. So be fun. Make time for fun. Make it a habit for you. And I thought it'd be fun. I thought it'd be fun to end my message the way Ronnie would end it. <laughs> fun in your marriage is an extra. It's essential. Yeah, let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that it, it, it speaks to us and it shows us the way that you truly feel about all kinds of things in life. But God, we've got this one so messed up at times. And I'm so grateful for the truth of your word that it allows us to see what you see. It allows us to know that you created this, that you love this, that you are the one that wanted all this to happen in the first place. And so, God, I, I just pray for marriages in the room that we would begin to have more fun. I, I truly believe that the best way to protect our marriage is to enjoy our marriage. And so, God, would you help us all enjoy our marriage? And for those in the room that are yet to be married, God, would you help them find a spouse, find, find somebody in their future that would be fun with them so that they can enjoy all that you have for them, that they can enjoy their best us. Oh, we love you. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.